Father, I just pray that you would uh, teach us in the face of all the uncertainty that's going on in our world, whether it's economic uncertainty, whether it's political uncertainty, whether it's divisions and problems in our families, Father, would you teach us to increase our trust in you? Would we find you in the space between all of the crises that are around us, Father? Would you just reveal to us the way you've moved in our past so that it's easier for us to notice what you're doing in our present, Father? I just pray that every one of us would have this sense of peace as we go forward into the next week of our lives, that you know what you're doing and that we can trust you in your name. Amen. All right. Well, good morning, church. How are you guys doing? I'm hoping uh, this Sunday's found you guys well. Um, I am Pastor Justin. I'm the youth director here at BCF. And uh, if you're visiting here today, hearing the youth director might be a deal breaker for you, and I'm sorry. I just want to encourage you, Pastor Steve will be preaching again next week, I'm pretty sure, right? Who's preaching next week? Andrew. Oh, Pastor Andrew will be preaching next week. And so if that's a deal breaker for you, Pastor Steve might be back the next week. Yes. So... I just want to put that out there for any of you who are really displeased with me at the end of today. We'll find out. Um, so before we jump into things, I have one more disclaimer. So Pastor Steve asked to proofread my sermon before I submitted it to you guys today. And so he removed all of my Star Wars references and all of my Marvel superhero references. So I just want to apologize. The, the, the excitement of the sermon today might have gone down just a little bit for some of you. Um, I am a youth director, just, just to remind you guys of that. Um, and if anyone wanted to hear my thoughts about Obi-Wan, the TV show, you'll have to talk to me after service. All right, so this morning we're going to be talking about Gen Z and the way that they fit into the future of the church. Let me just turn on this. Oh, there we go. Beyond Babylon is the name of our sermon today. And we're going to be talking about the future of the church and what it's going to look like in the coming generation as as some of the old guard begins to retire and step out, and the, and the young, young folks begin to step in and take up. So this is what we're going to be talking about today. If you don't know, Gen Z are American teens born between 1999 and 2015. Okay, these are young adults, these are teenagers, and there are even some of them in our children's church right now. Okay, so this is that group of people, and they're growing up, they're, in, they're beginning to enter our workforce, they're beginning to become like... Uh, you know, workers in our, in, our, in our factories and in our jobs. And so you're probably encountering Gen Z more than you ever have. And this is what we want to talk about. Young people in America are growing up with what Barna calls a post-Christian worldview. Now, if you don't know, Christianity in the West has been declining steadily generation upon generation every year since World War II. You didn't know you were going to be a little depressed when you came to church this morning, did you? Every generation has been less Christian ever since we started keeping track of this after World War II. And it's gotten to a point where our young people aren't growing up in the Christian environment that you might have grown up in. Where you grew up hearing Bible stories as a child and reading and memorizing scriptures. That is not normal in the current generation. In fact, it's considered kind of concerning. Like there are a lot of people that object to people indoctrinating their children in a Christian worldview. And so that's, that's kind of one of the hallmarks of this current generation. Atheism has doubled in Gen Z when compared to millennials. So my generation, millennials, 
has an atheism rate of 7%, and in Gen Z, it's gone up to 13. Not quite doubled, but close. 65% of Gen Z agrees that there is not one true religion and that there are many ways to eternal life or the afterlife or to God. And the only group that consistently lists spirituality as a high priority in their lives are engaged Christians, and this is just 9% of Gen Z. And to be an engaged Christian, basically, you have to be a person that attends church once a month and has some sort of a understanding of what's going on in Scripture. It's a low bar, honestly, in my opinion. And that's just 9% of Gen Z. Are you guys depressed yet? Raise your hand really quick just to keep up. Okay, we're doing okay. I haven't, I haven't ruined your Sunday morning. I want us to take a realistic look at, at where we're at and what is coming in our future. Because this is not normal to us, but this is normal for them. All right? And I think these changes that have happened are so significant um, that basically it's like we were growing up in Jerusalem and we didn't even realize it. We were surrounded by these religious ideals and these religious institutions. And it was a regular part of our life. Even if we weren't that committed, we were at least immersed in it in some way. And what's happening is the students that are coming up and beginning to enter into the workforce today have grown up in what is what we're calling a digital Babylon. They're growing up in a world that is not Christ-centered. And we'll actually show some comparisons here. So in the Jerusalem for older generations that we grew up in, Faith was at the center of our lives and our upbringing. And, and for students in Babylon, faith is at the margins. Faith is that thing that some people do on Sundays, but it's, there's other ways to spirituality if you're living in Babylon. In Jerusalem, there was one religion, right? Christianity was the dominant American religious force. And especially in Minnesota, where we have almost, we have more immigration, we have more diversity than any other place. Our students, especially the ones in public school, their, their friends are Muslims. The people that they spend time with, they are immersed in this kind of poly-religious environment where it's normal for them. Jerusalem is maybe a little slower paced, and you can't tell me life today isn't fast-paced, frenetic. There's always a distraction. There's always something to think about. That is the norm in our lives today. Even for many of us, if you have a cell phone, it's constantly, I can feel it vibrating in my pocket right now. In Jerusalem, we were united and homogenous, and diversity is not bad, but sometimes when it's handled incorrectly, it can bring division if we don't desire and pursue unity. In Jerusalem, there was a religious dominance. In Babylon, hyper-individualism, whatever you want to believe is okay, whatever you want to believe is right, and nobody else should challenge that. And I think the idolatry for a lot of us in Jerusalem was the sense of false piety. This belief that I go to church two, three times a week, I'm a good Christian. Or I don't swear, I don't, I don't sleep around, therefore I'm, God's pleased with me. I don't need to actually have a relationship or actually pursue him. And the idol for Babylon is being accepted, not rocking the boat. And this is the lens that I would like us to explore this morning as we talk about this, this digital Babylon that our young people are growing up. It is almost just like the exile that happened to the Israelites when Babylon conquered them and shipped off their young men and women into Babylon to become Babylonians, to try to assimilate them. And the challenges they faced 
as young people growing up in Babylon are going to be the, some of the exact same challenges that our young people face as they are growing up in their own Babylon. We cannot afford to bury our heads in the sand and pretend that these changes haven't happened. If you want to close your eyes, plug your ears and say, Jerusalem still stands. The city walls are strong. They haven't came and plundered the temple. You are living in a false reality that our young people can't afford to pretend exists. It is immoral and evil for older generations to throw their hands up and say, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to worry about my own spiritual development. Our children are growing up in Babylon. If we stay in Jerusalem and try to coach them from a distance, we are abandoning them. We have to go with them into Babylon. We can't stay where it's comfortable, where we have, where we have an easy answer, where we, all we have to do is quote a scripture and say, okay, that's all you got to do. Just do this. That's the answer. Because they're living in an environment where the easy answers don't work for them. And so we have to go with them into Babylon. What we're seeing happen in American culture parallels these struggles in, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem. And when this happened... The prophet Jeremiah, he wrote a letter to all the exiles that had been picking up and moved to Babylon. He wrote them a letter telling them what God wants them to do. And what's so cool about this is if our circumstances mirror their circumstances, then Jeremiah's advice to them should mirror what, we, what our response should be. You follow me, church? Like we don't, We're not just like in the dark saying, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I hope you're doing something good. We can look back at what God was saying to them and figure out how to apply it to our current circumstances. And this is Jeremiah. You've actually, you're familiar with this section of scripture, but I bet money you've heard it misquoted most of your life if you grew up in the church. Jeremiah 29, four through 14. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Have children. Find many spouses. Not many, sorry. Find spouses for them. Please don't. Please don't. I'm just going to make sure this is crystal clear. Don't find many spouses for your children to marry. That is not what God wants. If you're watching online, please don't edit that out and make a video clip. I'm so sorry. One second. Find spouses for them so that they have, may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you to exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. I'm going to say that line again because it's so critical. Pray for the peace and prosperity of the city where I send you, and pray for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the Lord God of Israel says, Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams, because they're telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. And I'm going to pause really quick. I'm, I wasn't, this isn't in my notes. But there is a trend in the American church that I've noticed that we need to talk about really quick. 
If you don't like what we're saying on Sundays, you'll go on YouTube and you'll find a prophet. You'll find someone who says the things that you want to hear. And these people aren't responsible for you, church. You have shepherds that God has placed in front of you. And you shouldn't be running off and listening to the people that will say whatever your tingling ears want to hear. You need to come to your shepherds with your questions. And say, help me work through this. Help me figure out what God wants. Because some guy on YouTube isn't responsible for you. He doesn't weep in prayer over you. He doesn't spend hours of his days. I'm serious, church. It makes me so mad. And it terrifies me that I could give everything that I have in ministry and some idiot on YouTube who I don't know and I can't verify his, who he is and what he believes could be influencing the people that I serve. He says, do not listen to the prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon. This is what the Lord says, you will be in Babylon for 70 years but then I will come and do for you all the good things I've promised and you'll be home again. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity, restore your fortunes, and I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. Can you imagine what it would be like to receive this message of, as a captive in Babylon? You're defeated, you get to watch your entire society crumble, you are taken away to a foreign nation, and they try to force you to be like them. They force you to assimilate. Some of you know better than others. Then you get a letter from home. It says, God wants you to build a house here. He wants you to find a spouse for your children here. He wants you to pray for these evil colonial conquerors that have taken you away from the life that you have. They've taken everything from you. I want you to work for their well-being and their prosperity. I want you to intercede to me on their behalf because their prosperity is your prosperity. Do you see how radical this is, what God is saying to the people of Israel? He's saying, I have sent you to the Babylonians as a blessing. And how good is the God that we worship that even in our rebellion against him, and he is, he is punishing the Israelites for the way that they've rebelled against him, even in their punishment, he is using them as a blessing to the nation. How good is the God we worship? What breaks my heart is that instead of trying to follow this model in Jeremiah, many of us have decided that the best course of action is war with the new status quo that's risen up around us. Instead of working for the peace and prosperity of Babylon, we've said we need to go to war with Babylon. We need to fight their cultural influence. We need to resist them in every way that we can. We can't let these Babylonians win. We'll fight them anywhere we can. We'll fight them in the, in the, in the office, in the, in, the, in the voting box. We'll fight them in the media if we can fight them in the media. We'll fight them in our churches. We'll devote our sermons to protecting them from every Babylonian influence possible. But that's not what Jeremiah said. He says, work for the peace and prosperity of these Babylonians. 
pray to me on their behalf. Build homes in their cities and plan to stay. Get Babylonian neighbors. Invite them over for dinner. Across the nation, ever since the pandemic ended, church attendance hasn't sprung back to what it was before the pandemic. True for this congregation, true for most congregations. Except for one specific type of congregation. See, the churches have kind of doubled down on this war with Babylon are exploding. The churches who have doubled down on these political idols of like, we need to fight Babylon in the voting blocks, and um, those churches are exploding right now. If that's what's being preached from the pulpit, um, there are, there's a church actually that I just saw um, this, uh, two weeks ago. The pastor said, if you've ever voted for a Democrat, you need to repent at the altar tonight or you need to leave my church. And you'd think like, okay, that's kind of, most people would be like, that, that's not okay, that's not the gospel. That's not Jesus-centered, right? He's had to build a tent behind his church because there, there's not any room left in their building anymore. The only churches in America that are doing really, really well at, towards the end of the pandemic and now are churches that have doubled down on this culture war with Babylon. Instead of taking the posture that Yahweh himself has commanded us to imitate, we've decided to do what seems best in our own eyes, what seems like the right decision in light of our current circumstances. And we love our tribalism. And I, I get wrapped up in it sometimes too, so I'm not like wagging my finger at you. But if we can get together in a group and say, those people are the problem. Those people are the, are the thing, and if we can deal with those people, everything will be okay. Well, it, it feels good to be in a group. It feels great to be in a tribe. You know you belong. You know you have people that will back you up. There is this identity to being in a tribe, and it feels so, so good. And the easiest way to make a tribe is to pick an enemy and to rally people against them. But Babylon is not our enemy. The people that we've been sent to. The people that our children have been sent to by the God that loves our children. And the God that loves the Babylonians. Build your homes and prepare to stay. Plant gardens. Find spouses for your children. Pray for the Babylonians. And this has been God's heart from the beginning. When he formed Israel at Sinai, this was a part of the covenant. He said, I'm going to make you, Israel, into my nation of priests. And the job of a priest is to intercede in between God and God's people. And if he is going to create Israel as a nation of priests, their job is not to be self-centered or tribalistic with the other nations. Their job is to mediate between God and the nations that God loves. And this is how God planned on fulfilling his, his um, covenant with Abraham when he said, I'm going to use you to bless all the families of the earth. He was going to use Israel to be this intermediary force. And when he sent them to Babylon, it was for Babylon. To bring the light of Yahweh to the nations. God is so good that even when he sends the Israelites into exile. 
He sends them to Babylon as a blessing so they might know him. And we get these stories of that happening all throughout the book of Daniel. When kings build golden idols and command the nations to bow before their their golden idols, the people of God stand in front of these golden idols, not kneeling. And when when, when the nations try to punish them for their insolence, God uses it as a standard for his glory. Because when, when Nebuchadnezzar threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, there was another in there with them. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar got on his knees and praised Yahweh. And he didn't change his ways immediately. He didn't, it didn't snap his fingers, but he acknowledged the God of the Israelites as they decided to stand and not kneel before the idols of Babylon. Even in the punishment, even in the, like, they faced death. And God used it for his own glory. That the king that thought he was the penultimate figure in the world worshipped Yahweh. Like, this is, not a, this is not a kid's story. You following me here? He's like, I've dominated all these nations and I've dominated the gods of all these nations. I stand above you and you know it. Because you wouldn't be here if, you were, if your God was better than my God. You wouldn't be here if I didn't win. But even in defeat, Yahweh shows who he is. And kings kneel before him. Yahweh doesn't want to destroy Babylon. He wants to redeem them. When we think about the Babylon that our kids are living in, and we're worried about the future, and we're worried about them falling away from God and becoming just like the Babylonians. We can take this defensive posture. Like, I need to protect my kid from these evil Babylonians. I don't want them to walk away from God. The God that I know, the God that I love, the God that has changed my life. I want my children to know Yahweh the way I have. But what God wants us to do with our kids, He wants to let them loose in Babylon. He wants to send them into Babylon to be the people that see him redeemed. To see his name made great. And it's not up to them. They don't have to do anything. All they have to do is be obedient. And he does the rest. We don't need this defensive posture with with the culture around us, church. We need to make sure that we're instilling in our children a love and a heart for every person that has broken our cultural norms as people in Jerusalem. For every Babylonian that spits in the name of Yahweh or spits in the name of Jesus. We don't need to be afraid. We need to teach our kids what it means. Our biggest task in raising our children isn't teaching them to resist the influence of a post-Christian America. Or to long for the glory days of old like we want to. In teaching our children God's heart for Babylon. In teaching them how to wash the feet. In washing their feet so that they can follow our example and wash the feet of people that might, might be hostile to them or might want to hurt them. 
Gen Z is navigating a multitude of cultural tensions that a lot of us have never really had to deal with. Daniel, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah were probably put in circumstances where they had no idea what God wanted them to do. And they just had to do the best they could in the moment. They had to navigate problems that required them to make decisions that would make Jerusalem, the people back in Jerusalem, they would boil. They'd be like, what did you do, Daniel? Hananiah, what do, you're wearing Babylonian clothing? How many threads, how many different types of fabric are woven into the clothes that you're wearing on your back right now? You, don't you know that's one of the laws of the Torah? You let them cut your hair, the tassels? You, no, you can't do that. You're giving in. You're making concessions to Babylon. You're compromising on your beliefs. Our children are going to find themselves in similar places if they go to Babylon. The black and white Jerusalem of morality is muddled in Babylon. It's turned into gray. We and our children need the wisdom to help them make decisions because your voice isn't going to be there whispering in their ear every moment of every day. You're not going to be able to use the authority that you had when they were little kids to say, this is, the, this is what you're going to do, this is what I'm telling you to do, and you're going to follow what I say. When your kids are in another nation, you're not there to make sure they're doing what you want them to do. As you interact and influence and mentor the young people in your lives, the biggest mistake you can make is thinking that you have simple answers to their problems. And if you aren't willing to leave Jerusalem and go to Babylon with these young people, then as someone who is called to disciple these young exiles, I have a request. Don't shout advice from Jerusalem to people living in Babylon. If you are not willing to get up and leave everything behind you to join them. And enter into their struggles. Enter into their confusion. To get on your knees and wash their feet. To get the mud and the dirt and the, the excrement that, is, that they are walking in on you. You follow me, church. If you're not willing to show up in their spaces, if you're too afraid, or if you're going to go there and be hostile and start causing problems then you don't get to shout advice from Jerusalem. And as someone who is trying my best to enter Babylon with these young people, it causes problems. When I'm trying to sit here and navigate problems with these people in Babylon, and they're get, getting shouted bad advice from Jerusalem. If you're trying to restore the Jerusalem of old, and you aren't willing to enter into the grave, Shouting advice from Jerusalem does more harm than good. And, I'm going to take a drink before I say this. The advice and the decision-making abilities of the Jerusalem generation are what caused the exile in the first place. Follow me, church. The reasoning and the logic of the Jerusalem generation are the whole reason the exile happened in the first place. Jerusalem solutions don't work in Babylon. 
Gen Z needs people who love Jesus and are willing to join them in their moral confusion and uncertainty and model the wisdom of Proverbs by saying, I don't know what God wants us to do, but let's seek him together. And when we take this posture, instead of standing in front of them and saying, I know the answers, I'm going to throw a verse in your face. We join them on their level. We say, I don't know what God wants, but let's work together and listen together to hear his voice. They don't need us to stand in between them and God and give them all the answers. They need us listen to God in front of them so that they can learn how to do the same. Gen Z needs people who will teach them how to study scripture on a deeper level than we were trained to when we were growing up. When we were growing up, it was simple just to memorize a couple Bible verses, get your little prize or your Bible bucks or your candy and be like, I am a solid Christian because I can quote Jeremiah 29 11. Right? You don't know anything else that's in that letter. Right? You don't know that right before that, Jeremiah says they're going to be in, in exile for 70 years. You didn't know that part. But you know the, the happy verse. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. You don't understand. We need to teach our children to understand the greater context of what is happening in Scripture. Because it has answers for us. It, it, it has the ability to deepen understanding. And it, it, when we approach it with wisdom and when we train our children to approach Scripture with this mentality, it will do powerful. The book of Daniel is incredible. It was written for people in exile. How do you navigate these tensions that you feel between God and a culture that is hostile to God? We need to teach them how to do these things without us looking over their shoulders. We need to teach them how to hear God's voice in Babylon. And as we model prayer, we don't just go through the motions. But we really, truly sit and listen in silence and say, God, I will obey. I'm not just using you, God, as an excuse to, to inflict my, my will on this world. I'm going to ask, what are you doing and how do I participate, God? I don't know what you're doing. I don't see the future. And sometimes the present is so cloudy and gray that I don't know what you want. But I'm open to whatever you have me for. And when they see us doing that, they'll learn how to do it as well. Being right won't make Babylon right with Being right doesn't make you right with God. And you, we hear that. We know that, right? Jesus makes us right with God. Will having a biblically correct theology on sex and sexuality make a person right with God? It won't. Will having a biblically correct theology on the issue of abortion make a person right with God? Will having a biblically correct theology on any other issue that you can think of make a person right with God? It doesn't work that way. Being right can't make us right with God. 
It is only through a submission and a repentance to Jesus where we say, God, I surrender my knowledge, I surrender my understanding, and I accept yours. That's what it means to kneel before a king. And if we aren't willing to take that posture or teach our children to take that posture, and when we teach our children to obsess about being right biblically, I mean, I get the heart. It makes sense. There's a logic to that. But sometimes I think, and I, I picked this up when I was a young man. In the church environment that I grew up in, I learned that God's grace, the love of Jesus, doesn't really matter unless you vote Republican. Unless you're right. Unless you have the right theology, God's grace doesn't matter. You're not a real Christian unless you're right. And that doesn't fly in Babylon, okay? In a gray world where you're being shouted from 50 different directions, everyone's got this individualistic truth. Our children are going to be wrong. And the truth is we're wrong about a lot of stuff. I'm sure that when, when, when God comes back and all truths are revealed to us, we're going to be like, man, I thought I was right about all these different things. <laughs> And I wasn't, but you, you let me come anyways. Like, I get to be a part of the kingdom anyways. Isaiah 52, 4 and 12. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Long ago, my people chose to live in Egypt. Now they are oppressed in Assyria. What is this? Asked the Lord. Why are my people enslaved again? Those who rule them shout in exaltation. The name of Yahweh is blasphemed all day long, but I will reveal my name to my people, and they will come to know its power. Then at last, they will recognize that I am the one that speaks to them. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, that the God of Israel reigns. And this is a message that Isaiah is giving to the people who've been exiled in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is destroyed. The city is in ruins. And he says, this is the reality that even in your exile, the God of Israel reigns on the throne. And this is the truth. And how beautiful is it when, when the feet of messengers who've been running from, from destroyed Jerusalem city to destroyed Jerusalem city, saying that the God of Israel hasn't abdicated his throne. Let the watchmen shout and sing for joy, for before their very eyes they see the Lord returning to Jerusalem. Let the ruins of Jerusalem break into joyful song, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And as the Jerusalem generation, he's speaking to us, church. He's speaking to the gray hairs. Sorry, there's a lot of you in here. I, I, I don't know if, you're, if that's a sensitive topic for some of you. But he's saying, let, let the people of Jerusalem rejoice. Because even in exile in Babylon, God has not left his throne. He is still in control. And if, if America continues to decline, if Christianity becomes weaker and weaker, nothing has changed in heaven. God stands on his throne. And there's no reason for us to be you know, ripping off our clothes in mourning or covering our heads in ashes. Because he isn't. And it's this posture of God is in control and he knows what he's doing. How do I participate? 
The Lord has demonstrated his holy power before the eyes of all nations. I, I might be wrong. Okay. I think I'm wrong. Oh, there we go. The Lord has demonstrated his holy power before the eyes of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the victory of our God. Go. Get out. Leave your captivity where everything you touch is unclean. Get out of there and purify yourselves. You who carry home the sacred objects of the Lord. You will not leave in a hurry running for your lives, for the Lord will go ahead of you. Yes, the Lord God of Israel will protect you from behind. If I could just get the worship team to come up. When we talk about this, it can be really, really, it can bring you down to a low place. When we take an honest assessment of what's going on in the culture around us. But God isn't done with Babylon. And what we see happen in the rest of this story in Babylon is God continues to use the Israelites as this light to the Babylonians. And one day he raises up a king from another nation to come and restore the Israelites. And they get to go back home and rebuild Jerusalem. And things aren't the same, but this is the, the, the generation that returned from Jerusalem. It's the generation that gave us the Old Testament. Okay? These exiles, these people who were in Babylon, in captivity, were the people that went back and they rediscovered the old text of Jerusalem. They went back and it was like something new and fresh and powerful for them. And they're like, we can't let this go. We, this, is, this is the most critical document. We, and we need to preserve it for our children. And we need to make sure that this is imprinted into every aspect of our lives. And when they rediscovered the words of God, it has brought us to where we are today. We wouldn't be here if God hadn't used these exiles in Babylon. In a thousand years from now, what are they going to say about this period in Western history? About how God used your children in Babylon? How God used my son in Babylon? More than anything. I just want us to be on board with what God's doing. I just want us to be in line with God's heart. God will place our children in front of pagan kings. And they will get to watch as they kneel and worship Jesus. He'll place our children to reveal truth to a world that doesn't believe truth even exists anymore. Future generations will see Jerusalem restored because of the way that God uses Gen Z in their exile. He's positioned us to serve them and prepare them for this mission. He's positioned you to serve them and prepare them for this mission. He's even called some of you to join them in Babylon. And it's messy. It's disorienting. And you will make the wrong decision if you join them in Babylon at some point. I just want to leave you with this question. You guys can start kind of playing our last song. This is kind of what I want you to meditate on in prayer as we go in to this time of worship. Will you insist that the youngest generation speak, act, and think like us longtime residents of Jerusalem? 
Or will you help these young people become and remain the people of God in Babylon? When God gives you opportunities, are you going to whine and complain about how different things are than they were back in Jerusalem? Or are you going to get on your knees and say, let's look at what God wants us to do. Let's make sense of this together. And Father, would every person in this room, would you turn their hearts to these young people that are in their lives? their nephews, their grandchildren, their children. And would you soften them up? Would you circumcise their hearts? Would you whisper? Father, would we be a people that listen to your voice and respond instead of leaning on what we think the right answers are, instead of looking for someone that makes it all so simple and all so easy and all so straightforward. Would you turn us into a people of wisdom? Would you make us as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves as we join this generation in Babylon? Father, maybe we've been in Babylon. Maybe we feel like we spend our time there. For those of us that get caught up in the confusion and we don't know what the right decisions are, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would dwell within us, that your wisdom would flow, would flow out of us when we don't have the answers. When we feel like our knowledge and our understanding fall short, would you take the wheel? Would you take control, Father? Don't let us make the mistake of thinking that we can fix it. Would we just get to witness as you move? And would your kingdom come in Babylon? Would your kingdom come back to Jerusalem? Father, would you, would you raise down every mountain? Would you bring it down so low? And would you raise every high valley up, Father? In your name, amen. I just want to remind us of a, a verse, I think that goes with what Pastor Dustin is saying. Um, if you feel stirred up by what he said, I know I do. Um, but then, like, what do you, how do you go do it out in the world? And one of the verses I prayed many times daily as a therapist, James 1, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. And he loves to give wisdom, and he gives it generously without finding fault. And I think we're not all, all wired like Justin. We can just engage, and, and not that he's without fault. I'm sure he blows it on the regular. But raising three Gen Z's, I know I blow it daily. I can feel myself blowing it all the time. And God loves to give wisdom. And he gives it generously without finding fault. And we just need to ask him 
to help us engage Babylon because we feel lost and we feel disoriented and we're being deconstructed and reconstructed during these times and it's okay because God wants to give wisdom and he gives it generously without petty fault. So if you lack wisdom for what he just said, come and get some prayer or just pray James 1 over yourself every day like I do sometimes and God loves to equip his people and his grace is sufficient. Father, as we, uh, as we go today and we look into the rest of our week and we, and we carry these ideas with us, would you give us a spirit of wisdom and would you give our children a spirit of wisdom to know when to stand firm and resist the powers and the idolatry of Babylon? And would you also give us the wisdom to navigate the grave, to navigate the answers, to love the people of Babylon the way you love them, Jesus? Father, as we deal with all the fear and the anxiety of what we want for our children and what we want for their generation and what we want to see your kingdom come, would we trust you with the details? Would we not get caught up in trying to do the things that we think would be best to build your kingdom? Would we trust you to do the work and just respond with obedience, Father? When, when you want us to stand, when we stand firm, and when you want us to navigate with wisdom, would we navigate with wisdom, Father? And churches, as you go today, I pray God's blessings upon you, and I pray that he would just fill each and every one of you with the spirit of wisdom. In his name, amen.